Good morning. It's good to have everyone here. Appreciate your attendance. We appreciate you making up this assembly today. If you were able to get here a little early this morning, then you enjoyed a wonderful breakfast. Uh, our thanks go out to Sammy and Lisa and to all those that put that on. Thank you so much. For uh, the visitors here, you might not know, but on the first Sunday of each month, we do have a breakfast up here about 930. Okay? And so it was great today. We appreciate it. Also, I'd like to say hello, a special hello to Martha Wood. We love you. We're glad that you're uh, able to come back today with your daughter. So we, uh, we love you and we love your family. It's good to see you again. And to the visitors this morning, thank you for being here. We have several uh, that, that uh, chose to be here and we appreciate it. So um, thank you so much. And those of you that are uh, first time visitors, please stick around so we can meet you and get to know you after services. That'd be great. The last time I spoke, I talked a little bit about Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, this morning for a little while, I want to speak to you uh, regarding Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Is in, in way of a, a short introduction, I want to share with you a, a story uh, that comes out of World War One. This is a story that most have forgotten. Well, a lot of us have forgotten the events about World War One, but but especially about this man, this sergeant named Alvin um, uh, Alvin York. He was one of the most famous soldiers in that war. We also need to realize that Alvin York, although he is one of the most famous soldiers, a legendary hero from World War I, he's also a very unlikely hero. You see, he's just a boy from Tennessee, and he grew up in a two-room log cabin, but he received the Medal of Honor after leading an attack on, on uh, Germany machine guns, and they were able to capture 35 of them. But before he went over there to Europe, he felt that his Christian faith kept him from going and fighting. He felt like he couldn't do it. He didn't want to become a, a, a fighter. He didn't want to become a killer. So after being drafted, he went home to Tennessee, and he was there for 10 days on a 10-day leave. And he took some scriptures that the Christian captain had shared with him, and he studied them out, and he read his Bible, and he prayed. Finally, in a crisis of faith, it's written that Alvin asked God, How can I obey you and defend the helpless that's in Europe and do that at the same time? How? He continues to write, As I was praying there alone, I knew that God was with me. He understood I didn't want to be a fighter. I didn't want to be a killing man. And he took pity on me. And he gave me the assurance that I needed. And it was his will. And that was enough for me. 
They said that he couldn't separate the two. They said that he had to wrap his mind around it before he was ready to go to war. You know, when it comes to big decisions that you and I have to make, a lot of times we need to have a quiet place, we need to pray, we need to talk to God, and we need to think about it. We need to ask for God's guidance. They say that Sergeant York, he had to to win the war that was going on in his mind before he could win the battles that laid ahead of him in the trenches of France. And I would tell you the same thing happened with Joshua. He had to get his mind right before he could lead God's people. Before he could become the leader that God wanted him to become. Now, I'm not a military man. I don't pretend to be one nor do I have a military mind. However, I do have a great appreciation for what our military does for me, for my family, for our nation, and I'm thankful and I'm grateful. So for a little while this morning, let's take a look at Joshua. You know, the Bible is filled with so many cool and wonderful stories about this leader of God's people. When God spoke, Joshua listened and he obeyed. His obedience, it serves as a model to everyone and to the children of Israel. You see, they remained faithful throughout Joshua's lifetime. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm just throwing that statement to the side. See what I just said? God's people remained faithful during Joshua's lifetime. That is huge. Because you know, the Israelites, you know their life. It was all up and down, right? For a while, they were faithful to God, and then they would fall away. Then they'd come back to God, and then they'd fall away. So it it was like a tug of war all the time. But during Joshua's lifetime, they remained faithful to God. That is a huge statement. Joshua is probably most well known for Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, he was committed to obeying God. He understood the importance of of obeying God. And Joshua said one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible right here. It means that we will be about God's business instead of the business of the world. It means we will obey Him by keeping His commandments. We may live in this world, but we're not from this world. We choose a more excellent way. We've come to learn After trying the ways of the world. After trying our own ways. But we've come to learn that God, God's ways, are the best ways. And then as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we're going to talk for a little bit about the battle of Jericho. But let's back up just for a moment. You remember back in the days of Moses, after they had left the land of Egypt... Moses led them through the Red Sea, and they camped 
at the foot of the of Mount Sinai. So after they left Egypt, they went through, God parted the Red Sea, they went through the Red Sea, and then they went to that mountain, and they camped there. In fact, they stayed there for about a year. And during that time, Moses went up on the mountain, and you know he took, or he got the Ten Commandments from God. And throughout that year, they also set up the Law of Moses. <clears throat> when it was time to leave, God had promised them the land of Canaan. That was going to be the promised land. But instead of crossing Jordan and simply going into the land, they stopped first and they said, hmm, we probably should take a look and see what's in that land that we're about to take. We don't want any surprises. So what exactly are we walking into? In Numbers 13, verse 1 and 2, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. He says, Which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. All right, so they stopped before going into the land of Canaan. And they said, we need to go check it out. And so each tribe, remember there's 12 tribes. Each one of them picked one man. So there was 12 men. And they went into the land to spy it out. And they were there for 40 days. So sometimes we just call them the 12 spies that went over to the land of Canaan. So they were supposed to check it out. What did they see? Well, first of all, they saw a wonderful land. Numbers 13, verse 23, And they came into the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. So right away, the spies, they knew that this land wasn't like any land that they had seen or that they had farmed before. This land was fantastic. I mean, the fruit was huge. So after the 40 days, they went back and they, they had a report. These 12 spies, they had a report to share. Now, something else they found over there, Numbers 13, verse 27 and 28, it says, We came into the land where, they, where thou sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. So there's people over there, and they're strong, okay? And then he said, the cities are walled, and they're very great. Verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Wow. Now that was fast, wasn't it? Positive, positive, this is great, this is great. But <laughs> we're like little grasshoppers compared to the people over there. So when facing a tough decision, don't let the negatives influence you to turn away from it. Don't let negatives cause you to lose sight of the positives in your life. Weigh both sides carefully. And don't let potential difficulties blind you to God's power to help you and to, and to guide you. Well, so Moses, he told those 12 spies, you know, find out. He says, go and find out what's over there. Determine if the land is rich or poor. Be of good courage and return with some of the land's fruit. So they did. 
And so when they came back, they said, you know, the, the land is great, the, the, the fruit is great, but we can't do it. In fact, ten of the spies said, we can't do it. They're giants. We can't go and take the land. They'll kill us. But there were two spies that said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. We can take it. God's given it to us. Numbers 14, verse 6 and 7, or 6 through 9. The land, this is what uh, the two spies that said. Now, the two spies happens to be Joshua, the person we're talking about this morning, and a guy named Caleb. So Joshua and Caleb, this is what they said. The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And the people didn't listen. They didn't listen to what Joshua and Caleb said. They listened to what the other ten spies said. They said, we can't do it. We can't do it. And the two stood up and said, we can. Did you know that they got so mad at Joshua and Caleb that they tried to kill them? They decided they were going to stone them to death. Well, they didn't, but that's what was about to happen. So Moses, he had a riot on his hand. Well, for this blatant disrespect, this lack of faith, they received a cursing from God. And God cursed them to wander in the wilderness. In fact, he said, you're going to stay in the wilderness one year for every day that the spies were over there spying out the land. So they were there for 40 days. So they're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. We need to remember the battle is won when we remember that God is in control. <clears throat> Did you know that after they found out about this curse... Of course, they were upset that they're going to be cursed for 40 years. You know what they did? They tried to take matters in their own hands. They decided, well, we're going to go ahead and take the land, the land of Canaan without God. So that's what they did. They got up early the next morning. The Israelites, they decided they're going to take it without God. They rejected God's promises. They failed to see that the glass was half full. They let the negative overpower them. They forgot that God delivered them out of Egypt. They forgot about God parting the Red Sea. They forgot, they forgot, they forgot. They had lack of faith. Who's that sound like? Sounds like our lives sometimes, doesn't it? They received a curse for their lack of faith. Then they made matters worse without God trying to take the land of Canaan. Without Moses, without the Ark of the Covenant, they were overpowered by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And they lost the battle. Point number one this morning is the battle is won by remembering who's in charge. We've got to remember who's in charge. <clears throat> so, after all of this, after they'd wander around, wandered for 40 years, we're at the end of that time. Moses has now passed away, and God has turned everything over to Joshua, and he is now the new leader. 
He says, Joshua, you ready to go take Jericho? I'm ready. And so that's where we're at. They're about to go over to the land of Canaan. All right. After receiving the, the new reports, after readying, readying the troops, crossing Jordan, Joshua sought to ready himself. He evidently went out to survey the landscape around Jericho, perhaps to devise a battle plan. And it was there that we come upon this story in Joshua 5, verse 13. He comes across a man that's got a sword in his hand. Joshua 5, starting with verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was at Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn, in his hand, and Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. But as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And then Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Something sounds familiar about that, doesn't it? Okay. So, let's talk about what we just read. The phrase, looked up or lifted up his eyes and looked, that conveys an element of surprise. So Joshua, he sees this man. This man's got his sword drawn out, and there's, he's somewhat surprised about it. He wasn't expecting for this guy to be there. It says, Behold, there stood a, over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. All right, so first of all, it was wise that Joshua didn't draw his sword out. He didn't know if that guy was looking for a fight or not. In fact, if he was looking for a fight, he probably would have already attacked. So Joshua, he boldly approaches this mysterious man with a drawn sword, and he says, well, the reason he does that, just like a shepherd over God's people, he had a responsibility to see if this man was a friend or an enemy. He says, are you for us or for our adversaries? Well, that makes sense. Are you for us or against us? Are you with me or are you going to fight us, right? That seems like a logical question to ask this impressive man. But the response that he got was kind of curious, almost elusive or vague. In a sense, the man refused to answer Joshua's question because it wasn't the right question. Don't we do that all the time? We're asking and asking, but we're asking the wrong thing. Well, it wasn't the most important question to be asked at the time. The question really wasn't if the Lord was on Joshua's side. The proper question was if Joshua was on the Lord's side. When God walks onto the scene, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. Don't ask if God is on your side, but instead the more appropriate question is, are we on the Lord's side or against him? 
Now, here it says, the commander of the army of the Lord. So this was God himself. He's pulling rank on Joshua, who himself was a great military leader, but he was not the commander-in-chief. When the messenger, this man with the sword, when he identified himself, what did Joshua do? He fell to the ground. His face hit the earth, and he worshipped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? The answer he got was, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. We've heard that before, way back, whenever Moses was there at the burning bush, and God told him, take your sandals off, you're on holy ground. Remember that? And so here, Joshua's getting that very same answer. All right, so what we have here is what's called as a Christophany. Sometimes people say Christophany. Now that's not a word you're going to find in the Bible. That's a word that's made up. Bible colleges, Bible scholars, they use that word. A Christophany is simply a man, or it is Christ who comes in the form of a man. And that's what we have here. Joshua is talking to Christ. 1400 years before Jesus was born in a manger. There's also a word theophany, and that is where God comes in the form of a man. You remember Jacob wrestled with God? And then you have angelophany, and that's when angels appear as men. You remember um, in Sodom and Gomorrah, whenever Lot was talking to those two angels or those two men? That was angels that he was talking to. They were wearing robes of white. You remember in Acts 1, right before Jesus ascended into heaven? He, well, he, he's going, he's floating up, he's rising up into the heaven, and the whole crowd of people is standing there watching as Jesus goes up, and there's two men dressed in white robes, and they said to him, Why are you watching? You know he's going to come back just as he is leaving. Those were two angels. All right. So let's move on. Back to the story. In shock and amazement, what's Joshua do? He flungs himself face down upon the, on, uh, on the ground, right? Joshua assumes this his messenger has a message for him, and God begins by giving Joshua a promise. And we go to verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Well, you know this verse. We've read this verse before. We've read this verse our whole life. So Joshua's talking to who? It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua. So Joshua's having a conversation with this man that had the sword, which is the Lord. So it was the Lord that's speaking to Joshua here. Now, I want to notice something else about this verse. It says, see, I have given into thy hand Jericho. You know what? That's the same terminology, the same words that they gave to those 12 spies and to Moses and all the Israelites 
the Lord said, I have given to you this land of Canaan. And then the ten people said, well, we can't take it. There's giants. <laughs> All right? Same terminology. He's given it to them. So here's a little spoiler alert for you. We have two instances of God giving us something. One accepted it and had faith. One rejected it, did not have faith, and then ended up wandering around for 40 years. Okay? All right, so notice with me that the Lord proclaims Israel's victory over the city of Jericho, and that's made here in past tense, as if it already occurred. I have given Jericho into your hands. It's just as sure as it's already happened. Now, it bothers me that you Christians, we're losing battles along the way in our life. We have different hardships, different things that come up. We take our eyes off the cross. We take our eyes away from God. How can I do it? How can I do it? It's too big. I can't handle it. Yeah, we can handle it. With God's help, we can. In fact, I've read the last chapter. We win. The Bible tells us Jesus wins. We win. We just got to have faith. You know, we might lose a few battles along the way, but the Lord's already won the war. And as long as we're on the Lord's side, then we're going to be winners. So remember, the battle is won by remembering who's in command. Point number two. <clears throat> God's methods are not man's methods, but God's methods are always right. <clears throat> the instruction that Joshua received from the Lord concerning how Jericho is going to be defeated must have seemed really strange to him. All right, let's read on, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So we're here in Joshua chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. All right, we've already read verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a, a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, and all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. All right. God's methods are not man's methods. Wow, this is a strange way to go and, and take over a city. This is a strange way to have a battle. Now, the prominent place given to the Ark of the Covenant, it's, it's going to be in this march that they're going to do. <clears throat> The ark is going to be with them as they march around the city of Jericho. That clearly indicates to us that this is not a battle that the Israelites are going to do, but it's the Lord's. It stresses how central the presence of God is and how passive God's people are. The Israelites, as God's people, they contribute nothing to this battle. God takes care of it. Well, there's one thing. There's one thing that they have. Obedience. God tells them this 
odd thing to do as they're going to take the, the city. He says, you're going to go take the people and you're going to march around the city one time and then go home. And then tomorrow on the second day, you're going to go and you're going to march around the city one time and you're going to go home. And then the third day and then the fourth day. And the fifth day, the sixth day, you do it. You march around it one time and you go home. But on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. And at the end of the seventh time, you're going to shout with a great shout. You're going to, the trumpeters are going to blow the trumpets. You make a great noise and the walls are going to come down. <clears throat> Jericho's walls were high. In fact, it had a series of two other walls just inside. The gate was massive, and they were securely shut. So each circling of the wall must have the advanced realization that without God, there wasn't going to be any victory. As they're walking around, and they're seeing, this thing's huge. And then they go home. Tomorrow, they come back out, march around. This thing gets a lot bigger. It's, it's huge. And then they went home. You know the old spiritual, it says, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. It's not exactly correct. Because Joshua and the people did nothing except obey. It was God that fought the battle at Jericho. They're just marching around and then they start shouting. It was God that knocked the walls down. Now, God sometimes, he sets our contributions on the sidelines. He does that so others can see that God's in control. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We don't need to take any glory for anything. It's not ours. It's God's glory. And so our efforts are sometimes just put on the sideline. Nothing about this war made sense. It's just not logical to go fight a battle like this. Today... We would never do this. We have heat-seeking missiles. We have the stealth bombers. We've got, uh, we've got tanks. We've got all of the. We've got the drones. We've got all of these things to fight. In spiritual matters and following God, logic cannot be our ultimate guide. You see, God's methods are not man's methods. But God's methods are always right. And now we come to point three of the morning. The best way to hear from God is to be quiet. Sometimes we need to just shut our mouth and get quiet. Get still. Search for that inner peace. Verse 10 and Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, and then shall thou shout. So the people, they're instructed to remain silent until they hear a long blast from the trumpet. Until they're told to shout, that's, that's when they do it. God's word reveals that we hear God's voice best when we remain silent. Moses says in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The psalmist says it this way 
In Psalms 46, verse 10 and 11, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. All right. So here we are after six days of the same single march around the city and then go home. Finally, the seventh day arrives. So each of those other days, they just go once and go home. But now it's going to be a little different. They march around the city, but they didn't go home. They stayed. And they marched around again. And they marched around again. Verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. So after they marched around at one time, instead of going home, they circled around to march around a second time. Now remember, we're talking about two, three, I don't know, estimates go up to six million people. So we've got a lot of people here, and they're marching around this city. So since they're just going, they're circling the city, and you get about, I don't know, five, six million people doing that, they're not in a single-file line. They're not even too deep. They're probably 10 deep or 20 deep. It's just a huge, massive amount of people walking around this city, and after the seventh time, whenever the trumpets begin to blow and they shout with a great shout, we know what happens. The walls came tumbling down. God gives them Jericho. Point four. Victory is ours if we do not quit. Victory is ours if we do not quit. Here in verse 16 it says, And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout! For the Lord have given you the city. In verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout. And the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him. They took the city. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30 recounts this story. And it says by faith. The walls of Jericho fell after the people marched around them for seven days. May I ask you a question? What is it that honors God and pleases God the most? There's lots of answers we could throw out, right? Having communion on the first day of the week, singing praises to Him, going to church being baptized. Now, all those are good answers. But the one answer I'm looking for is to obey. Obedience. And if we obey God, then we're going to do all those other things he's asked us to do. Obedience is our gift to God. See, God doesn't need our money when we put it in the uh, uh, contribution tray. He doesn't need this. He doesn't need... But he... Our gift is obedience to him. The prophet Samuel, he says this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. We find in this story this morning that Joshua and the Israelites, that they obey God. They follow God's word. Isn't that what God wants from us? You know, we don't have to to march around Jericho or, or any other city as far as that matters. We don't have to do that. But God wants the same from you and I, from his people today. Obedience. In our symbolic Christian march, you know what we do? Unfortunately, we stop short of our goal. In our symbolic march around our Jericho. We don't complete it, do we? Now, we probably have got enough faith to march around the city one time. But do you have enough faith to make it two times? Three times? Let's say that you're feeling mighty faithful. You can make it six whole days. Do you got enough for seven? Let's say that you make it Monday through Saturday. Will you make it back to church on Sunday? Some will. Some won't. What about your prayer life? Do you pray or have you stopped? Reading your Bibles. Do you read your Bible or have you stopped? Do you attend church like you should or have you stopped or slowed way down? God wants us to do these things in our act of obedience to him. John says, you better back up, Brother Brent. You're just getting a little too personal now. I'm not trying to. I'm just asking some questions that we need to be ready to answer. Many times we don't see the answers fast enough, or our prayers aren't getting answered the way we want them to get answered. So we end up marching around, and we end up short of our conquest of our own personal Jericho. We might have been doing a lot of things right, but then we simply stop. So you look around the church this morning, and you're going to see a lot of wonderful people, because you are. But there's a lot of wonderful people that's missing today. Why? Because they stopped. Don't stop. Continue on. Continue going to church. Raise your family in the church. You don't have a family, you have brothers and sisters in the church. You have moms and dads in the church. You have grandparents in the church. The last point of the morning. Don't be fooled, a day of judgment's coming. Don't be fooled, a day of judgment is coming. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone that hath received the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Let's go back to Jericho for just a second, okay? <clears throat> Going back to our story this morning, verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city with the edge 
of the sword. So we see here that the command is given in verse 17. In verse 21, they carried out this command. I tell you, it says everyone's going to be killed. Everyone must die. That's a little bit troublesome to me. I don't like that. I don't want that. And then we need to remember that Jericho had been given an adequate amount of time to repent. In fact, he gave him 40 years. You remember 40 years ago, they were supposed to go and take, and God didn't do that. God sent them wandering for 40 years. God gave the, God, he gave the Canaanites an ultimatum. He told them to turn. Turn around from what you're doing. And they didn't do it. Well, what are you talking about? Well, the worship of the Canaanites it included some pretty awful stuff. They sacrificed their children to the, their fake god Molech. You heard that right. They killed their kids to a fake god. Also, the sexual perversion of the prostitutes in the worship of Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth happened to be their moon goddess, and so they did all type of perversion. In the use of sorcery, I don't think I've got any comments about that one, but it was bad stuff, whatever they were doing, right? So after years of increasing wickedness, the time of their judgment had finally come. And I want to share with you the same thing is going to happen to us. Judgment day is coming for you and I. Look at a couple verses. 2 Peter 3, starting with verse 9. Peter warns us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then... That all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye be in all holy conversations and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? And then Hebrews 9, verse 12. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Matthew 7, starting with verse 19, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. <clears throat> Just know that there is a day coming. And we need to be preparing for that day. In closing this morning, we need to remember that the battle is won by remembering who's in charge. God's methods are not man's methods, but they're always right. Another way to say that is God's ways are higher than man's ways. Meaning, Joshua followed God's plan. Man would never fight a war like that. 
Therefore, when following God's plan, don't let logic be your ultimate guide. How logical is it to fight a war like that? You remember the story with Naaman and the leper. How logical was it for Naaman to go and wash his leprosy in the dirty river Jordan? It wasn't. But it was his act of obedience. There wasn't anything magical about that water in Jordan. Of course not. And then over and over again, the New Testament, it tells us to be baptized to wash away our sins with the blood of Christ. Is the water in the baptistry, is it magical? Of course not. It is our act of obedience, and we come in contact with the blood of Christ that washes our sins away. And then the best way to hear God is to be quiet. Do you make time to pray and to study? And then victory is ours if we do not give up. No matter the struggles that you face, never, ever give up. And then lastly, don't be fooled. There is a day of judgment coming. So this morning I ask you, are you a Christian? Have you been baptized? Did you know that Christ came into this world and he shed his blood so that you and I can have our sins cleaned and washed away? The book of Acts, it tells us that when we're baptized, our sins are washed in the blood of Christ. And this morning, you and I can learn a lot about spiritual living from the book of Joshua. So I tell you, choose today who you will serve. This morning, if you're not a child of God, we encourage you to take those steps and do that. If you're here and you'd like the prayers of the congregation, if we can help you in any way, would you please come as we stand and sing?